was the last person to see her stepmother alive at 9 o'clock in the morning in the guest room while she was making the bed. What are you going to do with that dress, Did you burn the murder dress? Did Bridget Sullivan help you clean up the blood? Did you pay her to lie? How can an assassin leave the scene of the crime with no footprints? Welcome to Lizzie. What are you going to do with that dress, Lizzie? The Bedford Cord dress? My sister Lizzie owned eight blue dresses. I saw it hanging in the clothes press over the front entry. I think one part of it was black or very dark blue, and the other part was a very light blue. Had a lady ask for prussic acid on Wednesday morning, August 3rd. When asked for what use, she said, to put on the edge of a sealskin coat. I made no sale. She left the store in a very haughty manner. No, I don't know her, but I think I would know her again, should I see her. Her, 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 her. Oh, no, mum. A lady such as yourself could dispatch herself in an instant. Ingestion could cause severe symptoms of protracted, terrible suffocation of all organs in the body. Death would be welcomed. It's my job as a pharmacist to refuse all requests for poisons unless you procure a doctor's prescription and you give me your name. Good day, then. I was washing dishes Sunday morning, about nine o'clock, and I heard my sister's voice, and I turned round and saw she was standing at the foot of the stove, between the foot of the stove and the dining room door. This dress, what are you going to do with that dress, Lizzie, was hanging on her arm, and she says, I think I shall burn this old thing up. I said, why don't you? Or you had better, or I would if I were you, or something like that. Can't tell the exact words. But it meant do it. We did not keep a rag bag. Fall River, September 12th, 1892. Officer William H. Medley. I visited Miss Lizzie Johnson at my Ricks on Saturday. She refused to make known to me the contents of the letter received from Lizzie Borden on the day of the murder until she had consulted Mr. Jennings. I talked with her for two hours, but was unable to make her change her mind. She met Mr. Jennings Saturday night. I saw her again today when she informed me that Mr. Jennings told her she need not tell me the contents of the letter if she did not want to. And she did not want to. Lizzie Borden said, If there is going to be anything done or anything said, Mr. Jennings must be here. This took place in the sitting room. My name is Alice Russell. I have lived in Fall River a good many years. I am unmarried. Two years ago, last October, I lived in the house now occupied by Dr. Kelly. I had lived there 11 years. All that time, the Bordens occupied the house next door. I was acquainted with the whole family. On the 4th of last August, I lived in Borden Street. I exchanged calls with Miss Lizzie Borden. She always received me upstairs in the guest room. About 7 o'clock on the evening of Wednesday, August 3rd of last year, she called upon me. She stayed till about 9. I have seen the other girls who were at Marion at the time. None of them will talk. 
I have made all this known to D.A. Knowlton, and that gentleman instructed me to procure all their names and give them to you, in order that they may be summoned to appear before the grand jury. The names are as follows. Mary L. Holmes, Isabel J. Fraser, Lizzie Johnson, Louise Remington, and Mabel H. Remington. He is murdered! He is murdered! That is just awful! Lizzie, has anybody been here? Not that I know of, said Lizzie. Eddie, come and see Mr. Borden. Mrs. Borden had a black rubberized gossamer, and it is in the clothes press at the bottom of the stairs in the front landing. Lizzie kept her gossamer in the clothes press on the second floor, and it's still there. I heard Father several times talking loud recently, and I was afraid some of the tenants had some trouble with him. Miss Alice Russell came into the dining room, and she said she had told Mr. Hanscombe that she had told him a falsehood, and that the burning of the dress was the worst thing Lizzie could have done. And my sister said, Why didn't you tell me? Why did you let me do it? in to hang up the dress that I had been wearing during the day and there was no vacant nail and I searched around to find a nail and I noticed this dress trimmed with just a ruffle of the same around the bottom a narrow ruffle it was very dirty very much soiled and badly faded it could not possibly be used for anything else are you wearing Dresses right now? Because it was not only soiled, but so badly faded, I should say, along the front and on one side toward the bottom, and some on the wrong side of the skirt. This is Officer Darty on August 4, 1892, at P.S. Brown's drugstore a day or two before the murders. Several sales were made and a number of persons refused. A description of those refused was obtained. None resembled the person who called on Eli Bentz, but a lady requested a sale of poison from Clerk Gifford. She was refused. He could not give a description of her. Why did Bridget Sullivan move halfway across the country for the rest of her life? Did you pay her to lie for you? I looked for my stepmother's note in her little bag that she carried down street with her sometimes, and in her work basket. We also put an advertisement into the paper to find the boy that brought that note. I interviewed Mrs. Kelly next door to the Bordens, and she said she left the house to go to the dentist, looked at the clock before going out. It said 10.35 a.m., just as she saw Andrew Borden going towards his front door to put the key in the door. He had a small package in his hand. I think he was at the side door first. The time when Mrs. Kelly left the house is also fixed by the work girl at 10.35 a.m. We felt she was not interested in us. And at one time, Father gave her some property, and we felt that we ought to have some, too. And he afterward gave us some. No, ma'am. I cannot sell you ten cents of Perusagassi. I'm afraid you would need a doctor's approval. Officers Darty and Harrington 
interviewed James E. Cunin, number 17 Freedom Street. Following report was August 4th, 1892, the day of the murders. I drove up 2nd Street from Morgan Street that day, and the only strange thing I observed was Dr. Handy's actions. His carriage was drawn up to the west side of the street, about opposite Dr. Kelly's yard. He sat in the buggy and was quickly turning his head from right to left, left to right. He seemed very nervous, and his strange actions caused me to look around to see what was the occasion of this. But I observed nothing. Before I reached where he was standing, he started and drove slowly down the street by me. August 7, 1892. I am Miss Cyrus W. Tripp. I live in Westport. In reply to my questions, I made the following statement. Lizzie told me she thought her stepmother was deceitful, being one thing to her face and another to her back. Lizzie told me her stepmother claimed to not have any influence with her father, but she must have influence with my father, or he never would have given my stepmother's half-sister such a very large sum of money. She said I do not know that my sister or I would get anything in the event of my father's death. This conversation took place at different times during former visits, nothing being said during her visit July 26th, when she bought some cheap dress material. Are you wearing the bloody murder dress under your clothes? Officer Albert E. Chase, Fall River, August 5th, 1892. The following articles and wearing apparel was this afternoon taken from a wash tub in the cellar washroom of the Borden House by orders of the city marshal and medical examiner and were buried under my direction in the yard back of the barn. One sofa pillow and tidy. One large piece of Brussels carpet. One roll of cotton batting. One sheet and several pieces of cotton cloth. Three towels. One napkin. One chemise. One dress. One pair of drawers. One skirt. Two aprons. One hair braid. And several pieces of hair from Mrs. Borden's head from five to eight inches long. One necktie. One truss. One piece of black silk braid or watch guard. I also found, mixed in with the hair of Mrs. Borden, a piece of bone, which from its nature I took to be a piece of Mrs. Borden's skull. It was cut so smooth that I thought it might be of use in determining what kind of instrument was used, as the bone and hair both had the appearance of being cut with a very sharp instrument. I gave this piece of bone to Dr. Dolan. About the middle of the next week, Dr. Dolan ordered all the articles dug up. After taking out pieces of clothing and carpet, they were ordered buried again, this time they were all put in a box. Why did Bridget Sullivan move halfway across the country for the rest of her life? Did you pay her to lie for you? 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 I think when she came in, she said, I have taken your advice and I have written to Marion that I will come. I don't know what came in between. I don't know as this followed that, but I said, I am glad you were going as I had urged her to go before. And I don't know just what followed, but I said something about her having a good time. And she said, well, I don't know. I feel depressed. I feel as if something was hanging over me that I cannot throw off. And it comes over me at times, no matter where I am. And she says... When I was at the table the other day, when I was at Marion, the girls were laughing and talking and having a good time. 
and this feeling came over me, and one of them spoke and said, Lizzie, why don't you talk? Mrs. Ida Gray at number 27 Whipple Street last Friday evening, August 5th, 1892. While in the horse car, two ladies were talking of Lizzie Borden. One remarked that Lizzie said when referring to Mrs. Borden that she was one of the kind that never die. I said, <laughs> She is not my mother. She is my stepmother. My mother is dead. This is from the book Parallel Lives on page 472. As one particular story went, a woman was sick in bed with a cold and had heart disease, which might take her life at any moment. Lizzie Borden was her friend and was alone with her when she died. And after her death, black marks were found on her neck and her jewelry gone. Engaged carpenter Maurice Daly to go to the Borden house about 1 p.m., the marshal, Mr. Seaver, and I. From there, we took a marble slat from the west end of the dressing case, a piece of molding that kept them up, and a board and a piece of plaster, too, was adhered to the wallpaper. Each of these articles had blood spots on them. Mrs. C.J. Holmes then asked, Do you want the bedspread and pillow shams? And the marshal replied, If you please. Another incident from 1893 attributing extremely bizarre behavior to Lizzie and also involving a corpse that a relative of Lizzie's had died. And Lizzie appeared and claimed her white skirts had been promised to her, including the one that the dead body was wearing, which Lizzie promptly removed. When you were eating the pears in the barn, where did you go to court? Friday, August 12, 1892, Officer Harrington, at the Barden House all forenoon, assisting on the safe. Afternoon, Doherty, Medley, and I continue on the Frank Wade clue. Got a boat and rakes and went all over the pond where he saw the suspicious person. We pulled up much stuff and things, but failed to find the hatchet which he thought might be thrown there. We brought back to the station a paper bag which contained an old banana peel, which was tied up with a very long string. This was very suspicious indeed. We had Mr. Matherson, the superintendent of the Chase Mill, to see we did our work well. He expressed himself as being satisfied. We could do no more in that line. The dress which I saw Sunday was neither calico nor cambric. It was a Bedford cord. I did not take hold of it nor examine it. Sunday morning, Miss Lizzie, Miss Emma, Mr. Morse and I had breakfast together. Bridget was not in the house. I went upstairs after breakfast to put my room in order and left Miss Emma to do the dishes. I don't know if Miss Lizzie helped in that. When I came back and saw Miss Lizzie with the Bedford cord dress, it was broad daylight. There was a policeman in the yard. I saw no blood on that dress, not a drop. The edge of the dress was soiled. I did not actually see her put it in the stove. I am Mrs. Jane Gray. Mrs. Borden's stepmother. Things were not as pleasant at the Borden house as they might be. That is the reason I did not call on Mrs. Borden as often as I would have liked to. I told Mrs. Borden I would not change places with her for all her money. What I know about them is all hearsay. Mrs. Borden was a very closed-mouthed woman. She would bear a great deal and say nothing. She told me she and the girls were allowed an equal monthly allowance but they had more out of it than I had. 
for I had to furnish the table coverings, the towels, and other small things for the house out of mine. Lizzie, did you cut out your stepmother's beautiful long braid when you killed her? Went in search of Dr. Handy, found him at Charles J. Holmes, asked him would he accompany an officer to Boston to see in a party whom the Boston police located and who they thought resembled the person whom he saw. He said, Well, I suppose I must go. I said, No, there is nothing compulsory about the request. He did not seem to like the idea of going, and said, It is a very warm night, and I have quite a number of cases on hand, from which I expect births. But then, <laughs> I suppose they are as apt to come during the day as well as night. Wait a moment and I'll see. He then went to another part of the house, and talked with the Holmes family for a few minutes. He then returned to the parlor, and said, Well, I'll go. Who is going with me? Is it you? I told him I could not say. Will the officer call at my house? Will he come in a carriage? Or will we go to the depot in the horse car? I said I did not know. But whichever way, the officer would be there in time. Dr. Bowen's character is at least suspicious. Four years ago, while the Borden family was summering over the river on the farm, Lizzie remained at home. One Sunday evening during this time, she and Dr. Bowen came to church together and sat in the Borden seat. I myself saw them this evening. At the time and since, there was much comment on this act. Some remarked how courageous she was to remain in the house alone. But others replied in a knowing way. Perhaps she was very acceptable company. I never I saw her in tears that morning. About the robbery, I think Mrs. Fish or her daughter-in-law of Hartford knows more or less about it. They wish to tell. About 15 minutes after this conversation, Miss Russell came to me and told me she would like me to come upstairs. She wanted me to see something. She led the way to the southeast bedroom and pointed to something that lay on the floor under the bed. She said, What's that? I picked it up. It was a club about 20 inches long. She said, I slept here last night, and if that was there last night, I don't see how I missed seeing it. Miss Russell seemed very much excited and begged me to tell no one but the marshal. Mrs. Charles Holmes was present at the time. Why did Bridget Sullivan move halfway across the country for the rest of her life? Did you pay her to lie for you? At Pierce Brown's drugstore, a day or two before the murders, several sales were made and a number of persons refused. A description of those refused was obtained. None resembled the person who called on Eli Bentz 
but a lady requested a sale of poison from Clerk Gifford. She was refused. He could not give a description of her. Did you pay her $5,000 a year for the rest of her life? A piece of wood was taken from the west casing of the door, which leads to the dining to the sitting room where Mr. Borden was murdered. This piece of wood had a splatter of blood on it. There was also taken one pair of ladies' low-tie shoes and one pair of ladies' black stockings. The dress which I saw Sunday was neither calico nor cambric. It was a Bedford cord. I did not take hold of it nor examine it. Sunday morning, Miss Lizzie, Miss Emma, Mr. Morse, and I had breakfast together. Bridget was not in the house. I went upstairs after breakfast to put my room in order and left Miss Emma to do the dishes. I don't know if Miss Lizzie helped in that. When I came back and saw Miss Lizzie with the Bedford cord dress, it was broad daylight. There was a policeman in the yard. I saw no blood on that dress, not a drop. The edge of the dress was soiled. I did not actually see her put it in the stove. Funeral Saturday was in the forenoon, about 11 or 12 o'clock. Miss Lizzie went to the cemetery. I did not. I stayed in the house with Mrs. Holmes and the undertaker's assistants. Officers did come in the house during the absence of the funeral party, but they didn't come as soon as the party left. They made a search, but didn't search everywhere. They went into Miss Lizzie's room. Thomas Walker, a tailor employed by John Carey, lived in a tenement of Mr. Borden's on 4th Street. He was ordered out, and the R.S. Reed store took his furniture. He worked all day Thursday, so says Mr. Carey. He said he had no feeling against Mr. Borden. What trouble he had was caused by himself. He said he went on a drunk and could not pay his bills, so he had to vacate the tenement and return the furniture, which was purchased on the installment plan. When Lizzie went upstairs, I went upstairs with her. At least, I have always thought so. She had not yet changed her dress. She said... When it is necessary for an undertaker, I want Winwood. Lizzie! Lizzie! Did you kill your father? Did you do it? Lizzie! Lizzie! Oren Rowans, car conductor, saw a man talking to A.J. Borden one week before the murder. They stood at Wooden Hall's corner. Mr. Borden appeared not to desire to talk with him and walked away. But the man followed him a few steps and then turned north and left him. I went downstairs and waited for Dr. Bowen. I sent for him, spoke to him, and went up to Lizzie's room again. She was coming out of Miss Emma's room, tying the ribbons of a wrapper, a pink and white striped wrapper. I stayed at the house all that night, having gone home once that day and returned. I did not suggest to Miss Lizzie that she change her dress, did not hear anyone suggest it. Are you wearing two dresses right now? Thursday night, I went down into the cellar with Lizzie. I carried a lamp. She carried a slop pail. Went to the water closet. The clothing taken from the bodies was in the washroom. Miss Lizzie went into the washroom. I did not. She went to the sink there and rinsed out the pail. Then we went upstairs again. I summoned Eli Bentz, Frank Kilroy, and Fred Hart to appear at court at 2.30 p.m. 
went for Fred Hart at 3.45 p.m., was sent to see what progress was being made on the safe. On the sixth day of October, Curtis I. Peace of Westport came to Fall River and met Mr. A.J. Jennings, Lizzie's attorney. I found Mr. Peace first met Lizzie Borden at the House of the Trips about ten years ago. At that time, Peace was a sort of itinerant preacher and was doing a little in that line in Westport at the time. While he was on speaking terms with her, there was not anything to indicate that Lizzie cared for him. I was told by Mrs. Tripp that Lizzie could hardly tolerate him. Mr. Peace told me he was not intimately acquainted with her, and was doing a little in that line in Westport at the time. While he was on speaking terms with her, there was not anything to indicate that Lizzie cared for him. He was not her lover and never was. He never was to her house in his life and did not know her people, either father, mother, or Emma, and had never spoken or written to any of them. Mr. Peace told me he was not intimately acquainted with her. He had not met her in over four years, and had not written her in over two years. He did write to Lizzie, since she was sent to Taunton Jail, and the letter was answered by Mr. Jennings. The following is a copy of a letter sent by Mr. Peace to Lizzie. Westport, September 20th, 1892. To Miss Lizzie, with friendly greetings, I am very anxious to meet you, and as I cannot presume upon your presence without your permission, would you be so kind as to appoint a day for me to visit you, as soon as convenient? I can come any day or hour. Please not deny this one request. Believe me, you have my deepest sympathy and constant prayer. I am sincerely yours, Curtis I. Peace, Westport, Box 34. Copy of letter sent by Andrew J. Jennings to Curtis I. Peace, Fall River, Massachusetts, September 24th, 1892. Dear Sir, your letter to Sheriff Wright and to Miss Lizzie Borden have been handed to me. By the letter for your sympathy, as for that of everybody else in her suffering, she is grateful. But she is at a loss to understand why you should presume upon her unfortunate position to open correspondence with her or write to Sheriff Wright asking for an interview. She does not want to see you nor to receive letters from you. She has not, tis true, a father to appeal to or family to compel you to cease your attempts to force yourself upon her notice. But there are others who can and will supply his place. She has told me of your previous conduct, and I am surprised that any man should attempt to renew it under present circumstances. Yours truly, Andrew J. Jennings.
The Commonwealth will prove that there was an unkindly feeling between the prisoner and her stepmother, that upon Wednesday, August 3rd, she was dwelling upon murder and preparing herself with a weapon which had no innocent use, that upon the evening of Wednesday, August 3rd, she was predicting disaster and cataloging defenses, that from the time when Mrs. Borden left the dining room to go upstairs for this momentary errand, up to the time when the prisoner came downstairs an hour later from this hallway which led only to her chamber and that in which Mrs. Borden was found, there was no other human being except the prisoner at the bar present, that these facts were the acts of a human being, that they were the acts of a person who, to have selected time and place as it was selected in this case, must have had a familiar knowledge of the interior of the premises and of the whereabouts and the habits of those who were in occupation of them at that time. We shall prove that this prisoner made contradictory statements about her whereabouts and above all gave a statement vitally different upon the manner in which she discovered these homicides. We shall prove beyond all reasonable doubt that the death of Mrs. Borden was a prior death. Then we shall ask you to say, if say you can, whether any reasonable hypothesis except guilt of this prisoner can account for the sad occurrences which happened upon the morning of August 4th, 1892. Did you burn the murder Listening to A Touch of Madness based on the trial of Lizzie Borton by Kate Lavender. If you would like more information, visit the website of Lizzie Borden, audio.com. Where did the blood go, Lizzie? Transcriptions of the witness statements of Lizzie Borden, provided with permission by Stephanie Corey and LizzieAndrewBorden.com.